Welcome to Locally Grown, a podcast about business, strategy, mindset, and everything in between to get you to your biggest triumphs and get you through your biggest challenges. If you're a brick and mortar business owner who is looking to scale to six, seven, or even eight figures, then this is the show for you. Each week, you'll discover tips to take your business from struggling to profitable, all from my own real life experiences being an entrepreneur, coach, and business consultant. This is the podcast for helping you build a business today so you can also build a legacy for the next generation. I'm your host, Teresa Cantley. All right. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Locally Grown Podcast. I am your host, Teresa Cantley, and I am joined today by someone super, super special to me. Her name is Dr. Michaela Sarno, and I have gotten to know uh, Dr. Sarno over the past probably six or so months, and I wanted to bring her on the show for a variety of reasons. I was introduced to Dr. Sarno many years ago, probably back in 2016, um, through going to an event with Shalene Johnson. And that was the first time I heard about her. But since then, I had joined her newsletter and was following her because she has such great insights and information that helped me as an entrepreneur. Dr. Sarno is a licensed psychotherapist, brain training, and mindset expert. She's a certified EMDR specialist, author, speaker, and mentor to many. So I'm going to um, turn this over to Dr. Sarno to just talk about um, her background. But before I do that, I wanted to just say that I started working with Dr. Sarno myself with EMDR. I went out to see her. I made the trip out probably, what was that? In March, I guess. Yeah. March, beginning of March to actually work with her in EMDR. And, you know, as entrepreneurs, we jump into owning our business. And I know for myself, I jumped into owning a business and it just opens up, you know, starting my business, putting myself out there. And it opens up a lot of blocks and beliefs that I had that ended up creating a lot of havoc for me as an entrepreneur. And I think after my business partner and my best friend passed away, those things even got louder. And I was dealing with a lot of different emotions and different beliefs that, again, I didn't really realize I had. And, you know, I was one of those entrepreneurs. I thought I had all the tools. I've been through all the programs and thought, you know, yeah, I got this. And they just kept repeating themselves and repeating themselves and repeating themselves. And it just, one day I got an email and it was in regards to this EMDR intensive. And I turned to my husband and I said, after following Dr. Sarno for all these years and talking to people who had worked with her, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to just jump in both feet. So just a little background as to why I wanted to have Dr. Sarno on, because in working with entrepreneurs, I know there are people that struggle with this same thing, and I thought it would be awesome to have her on here. So 
I'm going to be quiet now and I'm going to let her talk. So Dr. Michaela, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be such an amazing therapist. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. The truth of the matter is I, this wasn't a plan of mine to become a therapist. Um, I was a musician and, you know, the very early stages of my life, very early twenties and And like a lot of people, you know, we we all go through things in our lives and we make logical sense of it and we kind of think we figured it out. We know what's happened and we make sense of it. And but yet we struggle with these random things. And that was the case for me. And all it took was this one event that occurred kind of mid mid twenties that kind of threw me for a loop. And um I thought that everything I was feeling was a result of that event. I didn't realize it was a result of everything that had been compiled and probably suppressed or what have you. And it was a result of that, that at just the craziest time in my life, a very difficult time that I had found myself, that I had these epiphanies that I think just having been so far away from everyone, I was in another country, I was in a really bad place. But maybe being so removed, I was able to kind of see the bigger picture. And I had these epiphanies about all the things that I believed about myself and where I'd learned all these things, which didn't make any sense, and possibilities and what was possible. And, you know, having all these crazy random things that had occurred throughout my life that I'd never expected to happen, um, not pleasant things, but having this epiphany that, wow, if all these really bad things that I didn't expect to happen, that would have to mean these really amazing things that I would never expect to happen would have to be possible too. And it was just such a turning point in my life that in those moments of having these like three, one right after another kind of realizations, I came back to the States and just completely started living a different life based on who I knew I was as opposed to what I had learned. And then that was just kind of a snowball that I decided if I didn't get signed by the time I was a certain age, I would throw myself into school. And of course, I've always been so curious and I wanted to understand. I wanted to understand it all, which means, uh, which meant I needed to understand all the people, all the people that I'd grown up with and around and just wanted to make sense of it. And that curiosity just kind of threw me into, it just didn't seem fair that we can survive these random things in our life. But then we have to live with anxiety or depression or these negative thoughts that flow in and just didn't seem right. And I really believed that there had to be a way, there had to be a way to make that go away, to stop that, to eliminate that stuff. And that's when I think early in grad school, got trained in EMDR. And I remember even sharing this with a few close friends. And I think they kind of just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But (laughs) it was it was the foundation under and behind that um, type of therapy, that approach, that really I held on to otherwise, it's just a bilateral movement. And from there, I just kept studying. And I was just so curious. And at first, I was a brain training expert and realized, There are a few people falling through the cracks. And why is that? And realized, okay, well, we have a psyche. We have a mind, a personality, an ego, and we're completely dismissing this part. 
And in order to rewire our brain, we have to restructure our psyche. So it was just a constant domino snowball effect of what exactly is the bottom line solution to what we have to do to make these things change and to create change in our life? What's stopping us? Hmm. And that's where I really started working with peeling away, peeling away, peeling away the onion. And it comes down to our core beliefs. And that's not something that necessarily has to do with the way our brain is wired. That's just an effect of these core beliefs that sit, they dwell in our unconscious mind. So Mm. at that point, here we have it. Now we need to work with the unconscious mind if we're going to change these things. So what's the difference? um, Because I've heard this so many times and you explained it to me. How do we use our unconscious mind and our conscious mind? Like what's found in both? And how do we use both? Because I know not a lot of people, the unconscious mind is there, but they don't realize that if you tap into that, that's how you can really make change happen. So what is the difference and like, how do we use both of those pieces? Well, our conscious mind is you when you're present. And most people believe they're present, but we're usually toggling with one foot in the present and one foot in our unconscious mind, which is our past. So the conscious mind is the present. And when you think about everything you know, we use about five to 7% of it. 95 Mm. to 97%, give or take, according to literature, comes from our unconscious mind. And believe it or not, our unconscious mind is actually in charge. And because we're not aware and we can't control our unconscious on our own, We don't really know what's driving us. And this is why we will randomly have these feelings that don't make sense for the current situation we're in. Or we'll have these thoughts that we know aren't true logically, but yet we believe them. We live our lives on them. And that's because all that's in our unconscious mind. So if you imagine, I think I mentioned this to you, that if you wake up in the hospital with amnesia and you have no memories... You don't have any anxiety or depression or lack of confidence, insecurities, because you don't have any data to tell you to think and feel this way. So you wake up in the morning, you're present, which is in your conscious mind. But the Mm -hmm. first time you get triggered, that's where it pulls you into your unconscious, which is we don't really know what's in there. Those are where our core beliefs are. But we don't know that that happens because we still know where we are and know who we're with. So we don't question that we are slightly dissociating, but everything we're feeling and thinking and believing and with conviction comes from our unconscious. And we've got one foot there. And that's why it doesn't make sense to people. Why do I feel this? Why do I keep doing this? Why does this pattern? Why, despite the fact that I know I'm good enough, why do I feel not good enough? And that's because of that one foot that's still stuck in their past, in their unconscious mind. Hmm. So how can people, because I know that those core beliefs, and again, we don't even realize that a core belief is solidified the way that it has been. So how do people, and I know for me, like I felt like I wasn't good enough, but I didn't really realize where that came from. So how do we start to identify those beliefs and either where they came from or what they are or like, how do we do that? Well, to answer that, let me just make it real clear that 
the goal of your conscious mind, that's when we're present, is to look and appear normal in society at all times. This is where this imposter syndrome comes from. Mm. And the reason our beliefs go down, our negative beliefs into our unconscious, which drives us, is because a negative belief such as I'm not good enough or I don't matter or you know whatever that I'm not in control, that's not helpful to look and appear normal in society at all times. So that's why they get pushed down there. And even though we logically know it's not true, our unconscious mind, thus where those negative beliefs are, are what's in charge. So if we, we can identify what beliefs we actually have by based on what we feel about ourselves, because mm-hmm. we trust what we feel over what we know. Why do we do that? Because our feelings have such an emotional charge, our emotions, and we trust them because the very first time we have a certain feeling or an emotion as we're growing up, it's like we stamp it, we brand it, we define it. This feeling means, which means from that point forward, anytime we get triggered and it triggers that feeling, it already has a meaning. It's already defined. However, when that belief was formed, Let's say you were growing up, and it doesn't necessarily take trauma. It could be anything. If you felt at age 10 not good enough, or if you felt not worthy or not in control, kids, they believe we just accept that as truth. This must be true because it's what I'm feeling. This is how I'm making sense of it. And now that belief generalizes. And despite our logic, now we're living the rest of our lives, logically knowing we're good enough, but never feeling that it's true. So anything we feel, if one was to Google positive and negative beliefs, if you say to yourself, you read any of those beliefs, if they feel true, then those are core beliefs. Mm. So we have to go by feeling, which is really crazy because if we feel not good enough, we believe it. But if you felt like you could fly, you wouldn't jump out of a 10-story building, right? If you felt like a chicken, you wouldn't become a chicken. But if we feel not good enough, we believe it. Mm. Going along with that, there is something that you taught me about, which is that map of reality. And that's how those, the feelings and our perception because our perception, I'm guessing, is based on our feeling or our belief about ourselves. Mm-hmm. How does that all then, because you taught me about the map of reality and how we need to, how we look at a situation, how we perceive a situation is based on our current map of reality, which is based on our beliefs. How do we then, because one of the things that we did was we started to create a new map of reality. Mm-hmm. Um Let's talk about that a little bit and how people can start to identify what their current map of reality is based on those beliefs. And then what happens or how do you then start to change that? We went through a lot of that when I did my intensive. And every day I write things down of what was the previous reality when something comes up and then what the new reality is. So let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, it's funny because even with my clients, they have a certain perception about something, even in simple situations, they have a perception about something, 
But when I look at it and when I finally get them to look at it in a different way from a logical, Mm -hmm. you know, this is really what's happening based on the truth, the perception shifts. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit and that, you know, what our current map of reality is and how we can get to that new map of reality. Well, it's already an uphill climb from the very beginning when someone's trying to change a core belief because we identify um, what their beliefs are based on what feels true and where where you might have learned it, earliest or most disturbing. So we find that source. We're going to change a belief. We can't just change it in the current because otherwise your brain says, well, I've got all these other files. So we kind of skip to the chase. We go to the earliest or the most disturbing. And I can repeat it so many times in terms of the foundation is, you know, what defines us as being, let's say, good enough is only the kind of person that you are and all the components, your values, your intentions, desire to do better, be better, not our mistakes, not our past, not our history. It has to be within oneself. That's why it's called a definition of self, not definition of others. Yet as we grow up, we define ourselves by the way we're treated by people, by the responses of others, things that have happened. And those things can't decide who or what we are. They can only make us feel like it. So that's already an uphill climb because society constantly just reinforces that belief once it's formed. It's like throwing a pebble in a pond and you've got your point of entry when the belief is formed. And then you've got all these ripples from that moment on with all these things that happen after. See, I knew I wasn't good enough. See, I knew it. It's true. And it just keeps solidifying. So just getting someone to accept and swallow, it might feel like that now, but I need at least the adult part of you in the present to see and be able to accept the reality nonetheless that those things or people or how you're treated or how they respond can't define you. It can only make you feel that way. So that's a climb. Mm. And I like to then look at the- A big one. Yeah. (laughs) So then I look at the other side, which is our map of reality. And, you know, I began, you know, a few years back thinking, what are, let's just start to eliminate some of the things that are going to make that climb hard. In other words, it's going to make it difficult for them to buy into because then we have these unconscious fears. And that comes down to our map of reality that's formed when we're kids, which are these narratives that we accept as truths, such as, If you tell the truth, everything's going to be okay. And we don't ever revise that. But if you tell the truth, everything's not necessarily going to be okay. Tell that to a court of law. If I treat people with respect, they're going to treat me with respect in return. Not necessarily true. So we want to change these narratives that I don't tell the truth because it's going to make everything okay. I do it because it's the right thing to do only. If I Mm -hmm. treat people with respect because it's the right thing to do, not because I'm expecting it in return. If I get it, great. Um, Things such as we know logically, but yet we still design our lives in such a way I can avoid disappointments. I can avoid loss. I can avoid rejection by doing these things. And that's not a truth either. But that is our initial map of reality. Even the way we look at life, what is life supposed to be? Oh, well, it's supposed to be if I do these things, 
and I follow all the rules and do all the steps, then this should automatically be the outcome. And that's not the case. If we look at life in a certain way as we do as kids, we're going to be really disappointed that, well, I did all the right things. Why didn't this happen? I stayed home and hid in my closet and I still experienced rejection and loss. So we really need to start to change and revise our map of reality that disappointments are not a bad thing and they're supposed to happen. And we can only do our best to minimize the possibility, but we need to normalize disappointments. Otherwise it's unrealistic. Um, So, and it's looking at life that life is meeting and solving problems. It's not supposed to be perfect. We're not supposed to not have things that fail. We're, We're not supposed to not make mistakes, but we've made all of those things bad. They're bad things and they're not supposed to happen. And then when they happen, we crumble or we get offended. Yeah. Because what I did all the things I was supposed to do. So why didn't this work out? I'm offended because it was supposed to. Yeah. And a lot of people get stuck in that it's supposed to work out. I start my business, I launch it. I'm supposed to like make a million dollars in, you know, three months. And when it doesn't happen, I'm a failure. And another ripple. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of, especially if you're an online entrepreneur, I mean, it happens with all of them, but when you're an online entrepreneur and you're swimming in that space of the online world and you're doing launches, and I know I went through this where you're doing launch after launch after launch and they're not working and you tell yourself, well, I must not be good. I must not be good enough. I must, you know, maybe I shouldn't be an entrepreneur. And I know I've told myself and my husband has heard it. I'm the worst entrepreneur ever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think accepting the fact that things aren't going to work out all the time and that's okay. Um, And I think also one of the things that I've learned is that when they don't work out, as long as you accept that it didn't work out, there's going to be something else that's going to work out even bigger and better than what you thought. Yeah. And I, the way our, you know, our brain, our psyche works, and, and that's where this all started and went wrong was it has to come to a conclusion about what everything means. Mm-hmm. And from very early on in our life, and because our brain is programmed for survival, it always personalizes what everything means only because it's program for survival. That's what we need to change. So when things happen, what they mean is just what happened. This didn't go well. And I didn't make sales because I didn't do enough research or I need to tweak this part of this program or, uh, but what it means is I just plain didn't make sales and I'm going to figure out why and do it differently. It doesn't mean, see, I'm not good enough. See, I'm, I'm a failure but we personalize things. So anytime something feels personal, it's because it's defining you, which it can't. It's throwing salt on a belief that we already have. And then when good things happen, that feeds into this distortion. Mm. So something good happens. Oh, see, this must be what makes me good enough. No, it doesn't. No more than a negative thing happening didn't make you not good enough. Hmm. You know, It's funny because so many people 
a sign, and I just think it's like a human being thing. So many people attach meaning to stuff. And I know for myself, since I've been, you know, I worked with you, like I look at the meaning that people attach to things or the personalization that they put on stuff. And it's like mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Because I look at it and I'm like, well, that had nothing to do with you or it had nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think it's just a, it's a human, as you said, I mean, a lot of this comes from what we're taught or what society teaches us. And we just, you know, we keep going with life. And again, we take things personally. Um, Oh, that didn't work out. So that means that I'm not good enough. But when you step outside of it and you look at the situation from the outside, it's like, no, like that doesn't have the meaning that you're attaching to it. And I think that's one of the big things that ends up holding people back when they start a business or even just, you know, if somebody has a goal of running a 5K, you know, and they get out there and, and the first couple of times they're like, I can't do this. Well, then I must not be able to run a 5K. But I think it's like, that's one of, I mean, fear of rejection is a big thing. Fear of failure mm-hmm. is a big thing, you know, but just, assigning, like looking at something and saying like, that didn't work out, then I must be a failure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if they, you know, look at, they're working on a problem or they say, oh, you know what? That doesn't mean I'm a failure. I need to change this thing. Or even when people go through therapy and they're like, oh yes, I did that. Or me, I did this program. So I'm going to change. And then it doesn't happen or they don't shift that belief. What happens there? Like if people know that they need to change or they talk about that they need to change or they talk about that they need to do things differently, why is it that they get stuck and don't? Well, this kind of started with working with a a certain population with dissociative identity disorder, Hmm. which used to be called multiple personality disorder until we learned, oh, we don't have multiple personalities. We only have one personality, but with many parts. So we have many parts to ourselves. And when we're present, we're in our adult present self, which is who we really are. When we get triggered, let's say somebody with dissociative identity disorder, when they get triggered, they get pulled out of the present. They're fully in their unconscious mind in a fragmented part, a split off part of their personality, usually because of the level of trauma. And in that moment, they completely lose touch with reality where my office can become their childhood bedroom and I could become their aunt or their mother or their father until they get pulled back into the present. But for all of us that don't have DID, it's not as obvious, but yet what causes someone with DID to go into that place is they get triggered and then they dissociate, but they completely dissociate. But yet we all get triggered and we all dissociate when we miss our exit on the freeway when we're watching the game and someone's calling our name four times, we don't hear them when we daydream. So we're on a spectrum of dissociation. And that happens when we get triggered, which could be any random thing that our, your psyche is always scanning. And when that happens, we don't lose touch with reality. We know where we are, but that's where we're toggling from the adult who we are in the present, the part of us that's real. And into one of these parts which skews our perception because now we're looking at life through two set of eyes and these parts of us their goal 
is to keep us from feeling further disappointment, further loss, further rejection. And it's because there's a wall, let's say, between the conscious and unconscious mind, which means these parts of us, it's like having two brains. They don't know. They're stuck files, right? That hold thought, affect, sensations, images, even the age you were when this memory got pushed into your unconscious mind for the sake of the negative belief that's not helpful. So we go into these younger parts, we get triggered, and their goal is, All those things keep us from experiencing all these things. They don't realize that we can now handle it because, hey, we actually grew up. So we're we're this is why self-sabotage happens. And these are these fears that we have. In addition, most people um, have never learned how to go through a disappointment. You know, either no one adhered to them when they were dealing with that as they grew up or they had a parent that rescued them from the disappointment. So they never learned how. So they have such a fear. If I actually let myself believe I'm good enough, what if I found out? What if I find out I'm wrong? You won't. You absolutely won't. Because the things that told you in the first place you're not good enough, it's impossible for those things to define you. So I can promise you that at the very least. You know, well, what if I believe you or myself that I'm good enough and I put myself out there and I get rejected. You will. Some people will reject you and some people won't. So there's all these fears, but they're all irrational. They're things that part of that map of reality that we we want to change, that we're going to be rejected. Everything's 50-50 and we're going to be accepted. We're going to have loss and we're going to have gains. We're going to experience all those things because that's what life is. That's what it is meeting and solving problems. Because if we're ever going to reach purpose, which is what we all you know, hope to eventually land on, then we have to have learned things. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't have mistakes and failures, we, would have, we wouldn't learn anything. And then we wouldn't have any purpose. So we need those things to happen. Wow. That's really powerful. And um for anybody that's listening to this, it's, it's probably like, oh, wow, like I can identify with this. I can identify with these beliefs that I have. I can identify with, you know, yeah, like I can hear my, like I know, you know, I can hear my mother telling me certain things and, you know, which stuck in my head. And um, then people don't change or they just keep going back into that same pattern. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to shift gears for a little bit. And talk a little bit about what you do, because I know for myself, I was in that pattern, that pattern Mm -hmm. of like cycling back through, you know, I I knew I had these beliefs, you know, I've been through NLP, I've, you know, done the like shift this and shift this and then shift, but I always would come back to that pattern. So let's talk a little bit about, because yeah, people say, they talk about, oh, I need to change. Oh, I need to let go of this limiting belief. And it's not just, oh, you just say one day, I'm just going to let this go. Let's talk about what is EMDR and how does that actually break the pattern or change the belief? And that goes back to that new map of reality. So let's talk a little bit about the EMDR and how does that work? Well, EMDR which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's really just a bilateral movement, which can be a 
uh, visual, audio, or tactile. And really, that's all that is. It does. It's not like hypnosis, so it doesn't make anybody change a belief, which is why the dialogue is so important, because you can have an EMDR therapist that we all have our own approach, and that dialogue is crucial because it's the dialogue that it's combined with whatever your beliefs are, whatever the sources, the memories to which you've learned them in combination with the bilateral movement and the additional dialogue. So you kind of have to hold a lot of things together. And in doing so, essentially, that back and forth movement, let's say the visual, this is we don't have control of our unconscious mind. So you imagine we've got a little guard in our conscious mind that's always pushing that stuff down because it's not going to help us look and appear normal. And the bilateral movement, it's somewhat, it kind of distracts the guard long enough for us to pull up this memory, hold this belief with it, hold these words, I'm not good enough with it, and think about it, let it take you. And so it's free processing. So as long as that guard is being distracted while you're watching this light or these distractions, now you're holding up these components of the memory, the negative belief, and you're just free processing, which is like daydreaming. And anything that comes up in these brief reports in between these eye movements doesn't need to make sense. It's like telling somebody about a dream you had the other night that doesn't necessarily make sense. But for whatever reason, if you've just given your brain an equation, is this a truth today that I'm good enough or is this a lie? Whatever comes up in these brief reports you give, for whatever reason, it, that was data. That was evidence of what's either supporting it or contradicting it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important that before you even begin that work, that that foundation of what truly does define us what keeps us from change and, you know, all part, parts of the maps of reality that we talk about. But, you know, you figure we're human beings. We don't like change. We like to keep things the same and familiar because we've figured out how to survive. We've got our foothold and it can be really scary sometimes with, well, I finally figured out how to do life. Might not be the best, but I figured it out. Now you're asking me to let go with this foothold and just trust. And, you know, so we also, human beings, they really struggle with personal responsibility because mm-hmm. if, um, you know, and this is where I bring spirituality into it, which is um, grace. We're all given grace. God gives it to all of us, but we have to choose to take it. But if we choose to take it, which is, learning from everything we've ever gone through. Otherwise, a tragedy is just a tragedy if we didn't learn anything from it. And if we were to accept learning these things, confronting these things, now we're walking almost, you know, with God. But in that case, now there's no one above us to blame when things don't go our way or when we make a mistake. And as human beings, we really struggle with, making mistakes or failing at things, Mm. even though they're supposed to happen. Oh yeah. And and that they don't define us, but you, so you see, it's such a, you know, there's so many components and, but I love, as you know, I love to bring spirituality into it, which is not religion because then there's that bigger picture 
which was also part of, you know, part of my life. And knowing that if we're dealing with truths and lies, that's the basis for EMDR, then how do we define truth and where do we pull from these lies? And when you think about good and evil, if you have, uh, if you will, the goal of good is to inspire and sow life. The goal of evil or the negative is to kill spirit. And the way that it finds that loophole into killing our spirit is lies. That's what evil is, confusion, lies, and fear. And so we're constantly working and battling against those lies to get to those truths. So there's, you know, these truths are much bigger than we realize they are. The truth protects us, but the truth makes us fearless. For people who say, I don't really want to go back into my memories and if they're being triggered, if they deal with anxiety, if they have negative thoughts, I always tell them, you're already there now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what we're going to do is pull you back into the present. So there's a lot of components involved with it to give you a long-winded answer. Yeah. No, it's, um, you know, when you when you talk about the truth and the lies, um, one of the things that I have found is right when you're on the brink of like going to the next level in whatever it is, or like you're about ready to go to the next level in your business, or you're about ready to like, you know, launch something new and that fear comes in. That's that evil part that's trying to hold you back. That's the lies that are being told to you that hold you back or prevent you from going after your dream or achieving something big that you want to achieve. And when you learn how to identify that, you know, what those things are, you can say, yeah, no, thank you. And Mm -hmm. keep going and embrace the fact that if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And it doesn't. Sorry. It's it's just being mindful that there's a bigger thing happening here as well. And um, when we start buying into those lies, evil says, oh, I don't have to worry about Teresa, she's not going to be inspiring and sowing life, not to the full extent that she could, because she's too busy, let's say, believing she's not good enough. So, and, you know, it's not, evil doesn't put those, put that, put those beliefs in our heads, but it loves when we buy into those beliefs. Mm. It knows we're not going to inspire and sow life. So there's, you know, there's that bigger picture that's happening that is really, really important to think about. And most people are walking around buying into them. Most people are walking around, as I heard in one book, um, Professional Troublemaker, she says most people are walking around with their lights off and their eyes shut. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of just walking around like... Sleepwalking. Sleepwalking. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. And when you wake up to this and you really own your truth and learn how to be present and define yourself based on who you are inside, life changes. You mm-hmm. see things differently. Mm-hmm. Which and is Yeah, that's one of the amazing happy. things. Which is the goal really of, of EMDR, and you can do it in other ways too, but to integrate your ego, which is all your logic is in your conscious mind, which is about 5% of give or take, which is why we don't trust our logic. And there's no logic in our unconscious mind. 
So the goal is to open up communication between our conscious mind and our unconscious mind. So to integrate the ego, because when your ego is integrated, you have the ability to see things for what they truly are, as opposed to constant skewed perception, because we're seeing things with too many set of eyes. Mm. Wow. That's a powerful statement there. Like a skewed perception because you're seeing it with too many different, too many eyes. Like that's, that's a powerful statement. I mean, and it makes sense. And the eyes in our unconscious mind, because that's 95% and it's in control, is always going to win. It's always Mm going to win until we integrate our ego. Otherwise, you know, those pictures that if you stare at them long enough, you're going to see the princess and you're going to see the old lady, right? And that's kind of how we live our lives is we're, our perception is constantly skewed because we're constantly toggling in between the present and the past in our memory network. And we'll know something to be true, but it won't feel true. We'll see, we'll see a, a certain situation from two different perspectives, and we're usually going to buy into the negative because that's our unconscious mind and what's in charge. So we want to really um, always question what we're thinking, uh, what we're feeling, always challenge the authority of our ego. Is what I'm thinking really the truth? truth or yeah. at any given moment? which part of me is actually thinking and feeling this. And we know if it's not us in the present, then we can't buy it. Uh, we can't buy into it or trust it. Mm. So knowing, so that point of reference and knowing where we are yeah, is huge. And at the very least, knowing, don't just assume you're fully present because if what you're thinking and feeling If you don't have evidence of something in the space you're in, in that moment to justify it, if you feel anxious or fearful or depressed and there's nothing in that current space, because that's the only reality that's real, then you are um, in your memory network. You're in one of these parts and you, you can't trust it as real. How do you get out of that when you're in that situation? Because people are in it a lot. How do you get yourself out of that? You pull yourself back into the present. And it's depending on someone's history. It can be really difficult in the moment. But one of the things I suggest that we can usually remember to do is um, start counting backwards from 100 by threes, right? When you get down to zero, two times two, two times three, three times two, three times three. Because you can't do math and not be present. So it pulls you back into the present. Mm -hmm. Um, Writing with pen to paper, not on a computer, pen to paper will get you into the present. Um, Exercise, running around the block, that'll get you into the present. So you start to notice what the difference is and get skilled at knowing how to pull yourself back into the present. Mm. Eventually, when your ego is integrated, you're no longer ever in the past. You're always present. And it's truly an amazing place to be. No, absolutely. And I'm still, I mean, I still catch myself, you know, even to this day, but in going through this and knowing how to um, recognize it and then how to talk to myself and figure, you know, figure out like, okay, where's this coming from? You can, you can start to see the truth and get back into the present and, you know, let some of this, I don't want to say necessarily let it go, but really see it for what it is. 
So, yeah, and, and it's important to counter those thoughts, not just the thoughts, you know, if one is starting to feel not good enough, counter it with, I might feel not good enough, but why isn't that a truth? Okay, well, what's making me not good enough? Unless it's somebody else or something happening, then we know it can't be a truth, despite the fact that it feels like that. So we don't want to just, a lot of people will say, oh, well, I tell myself that, but it doesn't feel true. And it won't initially because you don't believe it yet, but you still want to make sure you counter it. Otherwise, it's just solidifying, solidifying, solidifying. So those thoughts that we just let run free, mm. it's solidifying it. We don't want to do that, nor do we want to talk negative to ourselves because we're solidifying those negative beliefs. Right. My gosh, this is such a great, con- I mean, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to switch gears slightly because I found something on your website that I thought was, um, it was so interesting because so much of it you bring into the work that you do with people, which is the 10 principles of a purposeful life. So in looking at that, Mm -hmm. what are the top five? Um, I think becoming more self-aware is definitely, uh, is definitely going to be at the top. Knowing who we are, if uh, if you ask anyone, do you know who you are? They'll say yes, and I'll, well, who are you? And they have to stop and think about it. So many people are lost or don't have direction, and we can't know where we're going until we know who we are first. In fact, knowing who who you are is going to be the foundation and basis for everything. When you know who you are, meaning when you know on a core level you're good enough, let's say, you don't get triggered. You don't respond to things negatively. You're fearless. Otherwise, when we don't know who we are, which most don't fully know, logically they know, which is different, then your value and your worth and all of those things, they're always on the table to gamble, mm. which means I kind of know that I'm good enough, but gosh, if I go do this and this happens, I'm going to lose my worth. I'm going to lose my value. That's what causes us to pull back as opposed to when that becomes core and that's not part of the equation, there's really nothing to stop us from taking risks in our life. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And so many people define themselves based on what other people think or how other people feel about them. And you have to have your own like definition of who you are. Um, Okay. So self-awareness. Self-aware. Um, finding your truth and, mm. and, and just even knowing truth, it's not a cliche where it is such a powerful, powerful thing for so many reasons. Um, but finding our truths, which means a lot of times we'll say things or think things. And, um, if I'm with a client and, you know, and they, well, I'm not successful. Well, how do you define success? How do you define being good enough? How do you define life? How do you define these things? So, Knowing um, what our truth is, despite what feels true, knowing where we pull our strength from, you know, knowing these foundational things, uh, because if the foundation isn't there, then we can't really start to change things. So yeah. that's mm-hmm. okay. Three, um, being our authentic self, I think is, I mean, the, oh, there's so many, but let's say, um, a lot of we've learned it's kind of in, ingrained in us that my authentic self it wasn't good enough because I learned that because I felt it at one point in my life and now it's a staple 
it's not acceptable. People don't like it, et cetera, et cetera. So I need to be something else. And what we forget is that people don't see us at face value. They don't respond to us at face value. We forget that everything that they're seeing in us, which causes them to respond, it has to go through all of their history, their pathology, their own ego defenses, their own beliefs, this whole system. So people see us the way they need to see us, in which case we have very little control over that, which means we might as well be ourselves. My motto is just be yourself and see who's left standing. Mm, yeah. Because it's the easiest thing to be. You don't have to put any thought into it. And then you know who your people are when Absolutely. you're yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, four. Um, I would have to say stay curious because mm-hmm. a huge part of the problem as human beings is we think simplistically. And we, we stop that debate, which is um, we'll get to – well, I don't know. And then we stop and we don't think beyond that, but we need to keep that debate. Well, I'll tell a client, take a moment, think about it. And when we get to there, okay, well, so this means this. Okay. Well, if it means that, well, what does that mean then? What does that take you? Where, where does that, you know, bring you to next, but we need to stay in that conversation with ourselves and not give up, not just stop it. I don't know. Because if we continue that conversation, that's how we have an epiphany. Mm. Epiphany is our significant thought about a problem with underlying knowledge, which are the things you're learning. And it takes those two things together to make a leap to have an epiphany. But if we keep thinking simplistically, we're never going to grow. We're not going to learn. And learning and growing, last piece, as children, we don't have to think to learn. We passively learn as children, but as adults, it's a choice to learn in order to grow. We have to learn that um, thinking and learning to think better is the only way to grow. And the last one. Oh, I got to pick just one more. Let's see. Um, (laughs) There's 10. So you're just going to have to go to our website and download it. (laughs) I, I would say kind of what I said earlier about when things happen and you know, you've kind of gone over to the, you know, the other side of the hill when these bad things that have happened, aren't really bad things. They're actually our most valuable assets are all the negative events we've experienced in our lives because there's a lesson in every single one of them. Mm. And we're going to use all those bad things in part to our purpose and how we teach or inspire or what have it. So it's, it's really how we look at the things in life, the dis- disappointments, the interruptions, all of those things in such a different way, in a mm. valuable way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So good. So if you want the other five, you got to go to Dr. Michaela, Dr. Michaela. Dr. com, and you're going to have to find the rest of them. But I will truly say that when you find all 10, Dr. Michaela is the embodiment of all of them. So um, she is a a fascinating and amazing and super smart woman. So uh, definitely go and check them out and check out her website. I have one more question for you before um, we also, um, I want people to find out about um, doing EMDR with you, but one more question. There's so many fascinating things about you 
What is one thing that most people probably don't know about you that is something fascinating or funny or that most people might not know? Um, one thing, um, probably, I mean, like I said, initially I was a musician before I was ever a therapist. I sang at the Apollo, um, when I was young and sang, you know, all over the country and, um, it's always been my first love. I would never change what I do now for anything, but music saved me. And I really think that music can save a lot of us. There's so many stories in the lyrics. It's so good for the brain. And yeah, I'm a major music lover. If you haven't ever seen uh, our Instagram videos or our random things, we love to sing. I love people who are brave enough to, doesn't matter how they sing, but they'll just jump in and join. And my favorite one was when you sang at, you sang the order at the Starbucks. Oh, Instagram. <laughs> that's so funny. That's a lot of people's favorite one. I love that one. And then, um, there was also one where you were on the bikes on the stationary bikes and you were supposed uh-huh. to sing acapella. And okay. yeah, that was another one that was funny. Um, yeah, yeah. but the, the one at Starbucks, that was the best. <laughs> I'll have to do more of those. And that's one one of the many things I love about Shalene is she was one of the very few people, friends that I could say, sing this, you know, on the spot and she'll do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that was, um, that was probably one of the first times that I was like, oh my gosh, wow, she's an amazing singer. And she's also like, I got to look up, look up this person, you know? So. And singing um, can also pull you into the present, by the way. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not afraid to sing. I am a terrible singer, but I am not afraid to sing. Good. <laughs> I will sing. But my dream was to be a fly girl on In Living Color. So I can dance. Oh, sweet. So Cannot sweet. sing. <laughs> where Now, where can we see that? Um, I do have some, if you ever go to a wedding with me, um, or I do have some old videos of me dancing. I should probably do more of it. Mm-hmm. So got to yeah. look into that. I'd love to see that. All right. So let's talk about, um, we'll go ahead and wrap this episode up, but I want people to find out where they can, because we talked about EMDR. I went through it with you. Um, It is a five-day intensive out in California. Talk a little bit about um, kind of what that looks like. And then also I want to share the link with everybody so they can go or you know, if you have openings or, or what does that look like right now? Five day intensive. So it can be done online. You have to be in the state of California at the very least, but I always prefer in session in office, which is in my office here in Orange County. It's five days in a row because EMDR is the only form of treatment. You can do consecutive days of therapy and your brain is going to be reprocessing these beliefs 24 hours a day for five days in a row. So you can change depending on one's history, three core beliefs for good that never come back within five days. Of course, that's give or take depending on the person. So it's five days with me, two and a half hours a day, two to two and a half with two prepping sessions to prep. So we're not just starting from scratch on day one and to post as well. And it, you know, there's no magic wand, but it's like, six to eight months of therapy in five days. It's a lot. And it's kind of, it gives people that getting over that major hump 
Mm-hmm. So that you actually have the experience of therapy not being a beginning, a middle, with no end. There is a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then it's however far you want to take it or you see what's left after the five days. So I've been doing that since twenty, at least 2013, this, these intensives. And I've molded them over the years. But I love them because if they weren't, if my clients weren't successful with them, I, I don't think I would have so much enjoyment doing them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they are amazing. Like I said, I went through it and I had done therapy before, regular talk therapy, and this was completely different and really made a huge difference in my life. So how can people, and we're going to put this in the show notes, obviously, but how can people learn more about where to go to register for this or to get more information? They can either go to drmichaela.com. And um, there's a tab, EMDR Intensives, so you can read all about it. There's a link there that you can also book a consult. So mm-hmm. that way I can kind of get your history and get an idea of what it is, your, whether you have a mental block, whether it's anxiety, whether it's um, lack of confidence. All of that comes from beliefs. So they can go there. Um, they can go to my, use the link on my Instagram page, but you're going to look for book an EMDR consult. Okay. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And like I said, we will include both links in the show notes. Um, so if you're, if you want to just get information about it, we'll have that link. But if you also want to book a consult, we'll have that link as well. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you so much, Dr. Michaela, for your time. Um, <laughs> this was just an amazing conversation. And I think so many people are, I mean, I know people are going to be taking notes and going back and, and listening and re-listening to things, but I just really appreciate everything that you've done for me and changing my life and just, you know, helping me to be me and um, just so, so grateful for you. So, well, yeah. Thank so you. thank you. Oh, it's an, always an honor. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. So again, check out the show notes. Definitely go um, look at Dr. Michaela's um, Instagram page and also her website. And, um, yeah, thank you again so much for, for being on the show Mm -hmm. and for all of you listening and watching this, because this is going to be live at the time of this recording, it will be live, um, in next week's episode, uh, for the podcast, it will be live on YouTube and LinkedIn as well. So everybody stay tuned for that. So until next time, have a great rest of your week and I will see you all soon. All right. Bye.